So ladies and gentlemen, the local elections here in the UK are going down today as this episode drops and uh, I've just seen local conservatives literally call themselves local conservatives. I love it. In the words of public enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. <laughs> oh, hope you're all doing well. Hope uh, oh, I forgot even fucking intro because <laughs> I'm just creasing over this local conservatives thing. Literally, they put local conservatives. Do you understand how hilarious that sounds? That is absolutely banterous man that is banter so i'm gonna read this tweet from tldr news uk right so it says some conservative candidates and campaigns have rebranded themselves as quote-unquote local conservatives headed tomorrow's local elections almost recording the day before and leaflet in hartlepool put it more explicitly quote please don't punish local conservatives for the mistakes made in westminster <laughs> they are in the mud in the mud is absolutely crazy. I'm fucking loving it. Um, I I can't. I'm um, the 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 fruits are are finally bear. The fruits are finally coming after years of preying on the conservatives' downfall, and now they're finally getting in the mud. Do you understand how desperate you have to be? to rebrand yourself as a local conservative and it's funny how they put they still call themselves conservatives but we're local conservatives like that fucking means anything it don't mean shit if you really want to separate yourself go ahead and be an independent or dip to another party don't have your cake and eat it too right don't don't be doing this half and half fence sitting bullshit and literally putting don't punish us for the mistakes made in westminster the fact that they put mistakes made in Westminster says it all really it it says it all what else do you need what else do you possibly need what else what other incentive do you need to not vote for the conservatives I just this is great this is great best day ever made my days looking at that tweet oh my gosh got me crying but anyway um (laughs) hope you had a good hope you all had a good week in the circumstances there we go I remember the intro um but yeah I've just I'm 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 ecstatic. That was great. That was absolutely amazing. I came back from walking the dog, hopped onto a right quick while making some tea, and I saw that. I was just I was just creasing up. Absolutely hilarious. Great. Absolute banter. <sighs> and on the other note, um, yeah, it's been a pretty decent week. Um, just got some work going on. We're just doing that as I go. Um, nearly finished with that. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm actually going to see Otis Mensa as I record uh, on on uh, tonight. So uh, shout out to fr- fr- friend of five you, Otis Mensa. If you want to go peep the interview um, that I had with him, um, uh, well, during the pandemic uh, 2020, so so probably around two years ago now, um, go spin. Um, just type up OS Mensa. Um, if you're on the Fifth Element, uh, if you're listening via the Fifth Element, go peep OS Mensa. Um, if uh, you're not, then um, I'll, uh, I don't know, I'll probably just uh, look up the episode number for you so you can go have a peep. Um, but yeah, I'm going to see him live um, at Dalston. And it's actually kind of, it's kind of funny. I've actually been to Dalston Hackney area um, for the fourth time now 
Like it's going to be the fourth time this month in in the space of four weeks. And I don't know, man. I feel like uh, the I feel like the universe is trying to tell me something. You know what I mean? Um, episode sixty-three: No hierarchy in sharing knowledge. Um, if you want to go pee, though, it's Mentor interview. Um, it's really good, apart from the fact that he uh, half, reco- half records uh, via dictaphone, and then that dictaphone dies halfway through. Um, but good, but content-wise, it's great. Quality-wise, not my favorite. Um, but anyway. Yeah, I've been to Hackney four times now in the past four weeks, and um, I really love—I love the whole area. I, I really do. It's one of my favourite areas in just in London, in general. And um, yeah, man, I just—I've got a bit of history there, and yeah, it's great. I just love—I just love Hackney. I love Dalston. I love uh, Islington. It's all great places. Camden, obviously. Um, just anywhere in North London, man. It's, it's all vibes. It's all vibes. I love it. Um, so yeah, gonna co- gonna go through hit a show. Um, um, and uh, I mean, I was gonna hit up. Uh, uh, this is the thing when you when you hit up shows, and then uh, and then the show another show comes up, and you're just like, oh no, decisions to make. Um, but I didn't see the Denzel Curry uh, show until after I bought this, so I'm you know I'll, I'll take on the chin. I'll see Denzel one day. I know that for sure because um, I, I want to see him, but I also don't want to see him because I feel like it's just gonna be a bunch of you know what I mean? a bunch of a bunch of f f f f you know what i mean one one f f f f f f there you go if you if you know your hex codes um you know what i'm talking about but um, yeah uh, i i just i don't know i'm kind of i'm apprehensive um about hitting up a denzel show um but i'll do it someday but i just want to hit up a mosh bit you know what i mean just a denzel mosh will be absolutely outstanding but anyway we have a show for you to get through uh, we have two music and life and tech um, a positive tech one, actually, uh, believe it or not. Um, so we'll finish on that. Finish on something positive. Uh, and yeah, full message before we begin. Email to the IG. Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go give these articles a read, give them a read for yourself, and support the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop. And let's get into the show. week where Olivia Wilde literally gets served custody papers whilst on stage at CinemaCon and I can't think of anything just uh, more crazy. Imagine you're trying to gas up your film at, uh, at a convention or whatever and literally just someone says you've been served. <laughs> it's just wow that's, a, that's an outstanding moment to do that. 70 uh, year old Michael Kish runs a 1347 100 meters at the pen relays. Imagine that you're 70 years old I don't even think I can run 13.47 now. I probably can. Can I? I don't know. I really don't. I don't know how fast I can run anymore. I haven't ran like properly, like proper bolted in years. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I'm f- f- big up, big up, Michael Kish, man. 13.47. That's crazy. Like you know, that's that's um, I don't know. That's like uh, I don't know, teenage. What were the teenagers then? That's like you, you preteen level. I don't know. I don't know what I'm. I don't know what the comparison is but that's just heat there's no comparison to that in some ways uh but yeah anyway uh boris becker has been jailed for two and a half years uh, uh, for hiding assets and debts worth more than 2.5 million pounds in the wake of his 2017 bankruptcy he'll be out in a year uh porn mp mike neil Parrish resigns so his name got uttered uh in the in the interim between uh between the uh, what's good episodes and uh yeah so he's gone he, he's out of here big up the porn mp uh, thinking he saw tractors, but instead he got porn. Don't know how you make that jump, but 
that's interesting. And uh, lastly, the US Supreme Court is set to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, I was going to find an article for that, and I did actually find a couple that were worthy, um, but they were kind of long, as you can imagine. Um, so um, I, if I... If I find time tomorrow, uh, I, I might just uh, record a long read for it for one of them. Um, but I, I might, I might, you know, it's a maybe, it's a maybe. It might not happen. It may, it may not happen. So, we'll, you know, just tune in on Friday. And if it comes out, it comes out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So anyway, I'm not promising anything. Uh, so let's begin with um, landlords uh, because I hate landlords. I I feel like landlords are probably um, next to politicians um, these kind of the year. Um, and I'm being completely serious about that. Um, so I found this great article uh, by the G, Sam Bright, uh, via Navarra Media. It's called London Landlords Have Ushered In A New Era of Feudalism. And come on, guys, feudalism was good back in the day, right? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. So let's jump right in. Feudalism, put simply, is a form of human servitude. A vassal uh, provides... Is it vassal? Yeah, vassal. Uh, provides labour and taxes in exchange for military protection and the right to live on, but not own, a land possessed by a nobleman. While it was formally abolished in England in the 1660s, it has been going through a modern-day resurgence, namely in our capital city. London pre- uh, promises unbridled freedom, a never-ending tequila orgy fueled by a vast army of people and job prospects. But this mirage is exposed at the end of every month, when we stare bleakly into the abyss of our bank accounts. London is a dazzling canvas illuminated by a thousand different cultures and cuisines, seemingly locked in harmony through an affinity with progressive politics. But this idealised London is tainted by a devilish deal forged by the city with oligarchs and predatory landlords. In other words, the city is celebrated as a beacon of progress while holding a large proportion of its residents in feudal-esque subjugation, demanding that they work endlessly to feed the voracious appetite of their property patrons. In terms of housing and much else besides, the capital is an outlier of extreme proportions. In 2020, the average house price in London stood at 797k, almost double the England-wide average of 262k. In Yorkshire, the figure was 175k, in the northwest 177k, and 275k in the southwest. If food prices have tra- had tracked house price inflation over recent years, in London, a chicken would now cost £100, says Adam Minton in her 2017 work Big Capital. This is also obviously replicated in the rental market. Since 2010, average private rental prices in London have grown at five times the rate of average earnings, and the typical rent for one for a one-bed flat in London now exceeds the cost on average for a three-bed place in every other English region. Concentrating the nation's economic, political and cultural assets in one city and with virtually no shackles on the property market, London is a safe bet for investors who seek regular income and above inflation appreciation of their assets. A quarter of all new graduates from UK universities in 2014 and 15 were working in London within six months, including 38% of Russell Group graduates with first class or upper second class degrees. This steady deluge of people, I love that word deluge, of people uh, migrating to the all-consuming capital has been a boon for perspe- uh, prospective uh, property inve- investors. Uh, London's population is now eight times larger than the UK's second largest city, Birmingham, while the people... Is, is Birmingham the second largest city? 
Oh, I thought it was Manchester. I don't know why. That's, that's crazy. Uh, while the number of people living in poverty in London, some 2.5 million, is only slightly smaller than the entire population of Greater Manchester. Thus, at the behest of the government, making virtually no effort to deter this frenzy of predatory capitalism, London has been colonised by development companies and professional landlords. Quote, Many London homes are not bought to be used as a primary residence by their owners, but rather as, a, as either a store of wealth a vehicle to deliver capital appreciation, a source of rental income, or a combination of the three, says the campaign group Action on Empty Homes. Oh, let's talk about empty homes, fuck. I think I've already done it on here, but anyway. Uh, contrast this with the remarks of Margaret Thatcher. In her first speech, as Conservative Party leader in 1975, quote, Let me give you my vision. A man's right to work as he will, to spend what he earns, to own property, to have the state as servant and not as master. <laughs> these are the, well, funny. These are that that age age. Well, these are the British inheritance. Uh, they are the essence of a free country, and on that freedom, all our other freedoms depend. She said. Since Thatcher made this proclamation, however, her vision of a property-owning democracy has been reversed in the capital, at least to never shrinking elite. If you were living in London, 1981, you were more likely to be in social rented housing than any other form of accommodation. Spurred by Thatcher's housing reforms, however, social rented housing is now the least typical avenue for Londoners, constituting just, excuse me, 20% of households. The market rented sector, meanwhile, has boomed, uh, its share increasing from roughly 10% in the late 1980s to nearly 30% today. This is encapsulated in the capital's landmarks, many of which have been purchased by as accessories by oligarchs. We've always talked about that on History of the Show. Uh, the Shard, the tallest freestanding structure in the city, and the second tallest in the country, is owned by the state of Qatar. We have, we have also talked about that in a previous episode. Effectively a glass temple to an offshore elite that has quietly occupied the capital. The Gherkin, the Shard's phallic rival, is owned by a Brazilian conglomerate. The Fenchurch Building, otherwise known as the Walkie Talkie, is owned by a Hong Kong company known, uh, best known for its Chinese-style food sources. City Hall, the Pantheon of Democracy in London, is owned by the Kuwaiti Sovereign Wealth Fund. Didn't realise Kuwait was stacking pee like that. Uh, London's wealth is increasingly hoarded by a property-owning aristocracy using the city as an investment fund whose assets have bloated while austerity has been inflicted on public sector workers and the low-paid. Some 74% of impoverished adults in the capital are in working families, up up from 62% a decade ago. In three years to 2016, 39% of private renters and 46% of social renters were in poverty, falling to 12% among owner-occupiers. Meanwhile, the servitude of people living in the capital has also manifested through a lack of social mobility outside the capital. London accounts for 30% of all private sector employment in the UK, but only 15% of its population required outsiders to pay a hefty fee in the form of outrageous property costs to break into the almighty capital. For people able to live and work at home in London, especially during the early years of their career, this blockade to their future prospects is removed. Moreover, the Lon- uh, London's landlord economy risks exacerbating major intergenerational inequalities. Total property equity in London and the South East amounted to some £1.53 uh, £1. trillion pounds in uh, 2018 versus £533 billion in the North, according to uh, property agent Savills. Uh, not to be confused with Jimmy. Uh, homeowners in the capital are therefore the beneficiaries of a colossal property reserve that will eventually be endowed to the next generation. That's compounding the vast inequalities between London and everywhere else. 
The nation is trapped in London's orbit, while London has been captured by landlords. The whole are slide into a medieval era of economic deploy- uh, development and class relations. We must incubate new pockets of heat outside the capital, more heavily regulate uh, London's lawless property market and reclaim this oligarch haven for ordinary people. Um, so yeah, um, also Sam Bright has, uh, is the author of uh, Fortress London, Why We Need to Save the Country from Its Capital. Um, so yeah, I, I just... I just, I just, I just fucking hate landlords, man. I really fucking do. Um, and just, and this, um, I think this framing as well is very interesting that I don't think I've talked about in this fat in this, especially in this frame before. You know, I've I've met, I've, I've read something about I've read an article on here on this show about you know the uh, the uh, oligarchy especially, but this one obviously leaning more towards landlords and obviously did mention the buildings owned by you know Qatar, Brazil, Kuwait apparently. Um, and we talked about that side of it before, of course, in terms of oligarchy, but just the l- overall c- landscape of landlords and what they are able to do, because this is the thing, they are able to do this. None of this is illegal, right? This is state sanctioned in some way. And that's the thing that jars me the most. Like every, every, every polit, well, most politicians, you know, um, you know, spend their time in London because that's where Westminster is, right? And Parliament, House of Commons, etc., etc., right? So they're here, and, you know, and there's obviously plenty of boroughs and plenty of, you know, MPs based in London, right? Um, and I just, I don't I don't get why, well, I, do, I know why they haven't, uh, you know, accounted for this yet, but it's been, this has been 10 years in the making, man. Over 10 years in the making, if you want to, you know, count, you know, Thatcher. So... You know, as the if the oligarchy stuff has been going on for ten years, just think about how long the landlordship has been going on. <coughs> the landlord side of things has been going on. Like that's that's a while, and um, I I don't know if it's going to be like a point of no return. You know, I when I was talking earlier about you know Hackney and Dalston and Camden and Islington and saying like you know maybe the universe is telling me something or maybe myself I'm telling myself something. Um, you know, I'm I want to move there one day. I literally do. I I feel like that's where I want to be. You know, what I mean, just um, in terms of my own personal life and personal fulfillment, and um, you know, just where I want to be, right? In general, um, just in a lot of ways. And uh, I I I generally don't know if I'm ever going to. I I I'm, I read this shit, and I'm just like, how how am I going to do? It? How am I going to do this? How is this going to happen? Unless I you know stack major P and become one and become the one percent of you know, uh, uh, becoming the one percent. Unless I get to that level of money, I, I don't know, man. I really don't. I don't. Maybe I should just scratch cards and just try and hit the lottery. Maybe, maybe that's. Maybe I have to do that. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, leave it. Leave. Leave that on a drab note because it is drab, and uh, there's no. I. I just firmly don't believe that politicians will account for this. Um, I don't know. Until maybe Quadro uh, gets uh, makes makes enough noise because he's making damn enough noise on Twitter, but hopefully he make uh, you know, this one man army. Shout to Quadro by the way, fucking hell. Um, you know he shouldn't be the only one. Basically, he really shouldn't be the only one. Everyone should be hailing up all this shit about social housing, bad housing, um, and landlords especially because, as we said before, they are demons and they will forever be demons.
And speaking of demons, <laughs> fucking hell, great segue to Tim Westwood. Westwood! Fucking sexual harassment. Um, yeah, so, um, if you, if, if, yeah, I said it last week, uh, Tim Westwood has been uh, slapped with a couple of uh, sexual harassment claims. Um, got a documentary about it literally on the same day of the announcement uh, on BBC Three, which I kind of feel a bit bad about. I'm just like, why wasn't that on BBC Two or One? I feel like BBC Three, and, you know, respect to BBC Three, you know, it's BBC Three. I love BBC Three. I always have respect for BBC Three as a concept, but um, yeah, there shouldn't be on BBC Three. I should be like fucking panorama BBC One, you know what I mean, type shit. But anyway, um, it should be given that kind of time. But anyway, that's gone. Um, I was on the way home uh, around that time. And um, there was a Spaces hosted uh, by Miss Kalechi Okafor. Um, and, uh, but it was two hours long, but um, I managed to catch, you know, 10 minutes on the train. And uh, in those 10 minutes, there was uh, just a lot of anecdotes. There was a lot of anecdotes in 10 minutes. Uh, it was at least like five women, black women, mostly, um, just, um, you know, in their experiences, um, you know, with either with Tim Westwood firsthand or secondhand um or just an experience of their field um yeah it was a lot and i can only imagine what was said for two hours um if it was as if it was much as if it was much as those 10 minutes jesus christ that's a lot of that's a lot of stories um but uh, speaking of kalechi okafor she has written something about it which is good um so i'm gonna read this This is via inews it's called uh it should have it should have never it should never have taken this long for black girls allegations against tim westwood to be taken seriously and, you know, I feel like this is a direct um, uh, a direct issue towards black women because, hey man, Westwood's into the black women. And that's fine, bro. But in the way, in general, it's fine. But in the way he does things, that is some predatory shit. All right. So let's get into it. There are many things that were iconic about growing up in the 90s. I remember how excited I was to go to my first under 18 rave. I did that once and I fucking hated it. I really did hate it. I, I hated that to death. Um, all I remember was Element Nightclub, which is I don't think it exists anymore. Um, I hear Roll Deep in my head. Um, I got a mad headache. I left early. I asked my mum for a lift. I had to get paracetamol because it was the first time I was in that kind of environment and my head was dumping. And then I, wanted to, I was going to go sleep and I couldn't sleep. So I went downstairs and watched the Pacific with my mum instead, um, and that was my night. So yeah, I didn't go. I didn't go clubbing until I was eighteen. After that, because I was like fifteen, I think it was crap. Anyway, uh, and all I drank was Red Bulls. It's just crap. Um, the Moschino, <laughs> Moschino, uh, Moschino. Is it Moschino or Moschino? Moschino. I don't know. Uh, I'm not rich like that. Um, belts and Averex jackets donned by all the cool kids. The sicked up hair and lollipops uh, tucked around are carefully quaffed. Uh, up dues. To this day, those memories fill me with light. Mm, not me, but anyway. Uh, there, but there is a presence lurking within them I can't shake. The shadow of the prolific hip-hop DJ, Tim Westwood. Since the age of about 16, I can recall going to events where he was DJ. In one particular incident, I recall him calling out inappropriate remarks to the crowd, something I found odd even back then, especially coming from a grown man playing to mostly young people. Yesterday, Westwood stepped down from his weekly slot on Capital Extra, whose parent company is Global Radio. After the documentary, Tim Westwood Abuse of Power aired on BBC Three, in which a number of black women, some of whom were teenagers when the alleged uh, incidents were, said, have, were said to have taken place, accused him of sexual misconduct. 
The documentary was a result of the painstaking collaborative investigative work of the BBC and The Guardian. Responding to the investigation, representatives for Westwood said that he strongly denies all allegations of inappropriate behaviour and wrongdoing, and that, quote, there have never been any complaints made against him officially or unofficially, unquote, I'm sure. As I grew older and began to, uh, and began to understand more about the dynamics that keep our oppressive society intact, I learned how to articulate what I, had, what I had always found instinctively unsettling about the way Westwood's persona loomed over black British culture and the potential access it provided him to black girls. We cannot discuss the allegations against Westwood without discussing white supremacist patriarchy, racism, sexism, and the ways in which specific strains of these oppressive structures may have allowed allegations of abuse to go unchallenged for so many years. Westwood, at one point, was regarded as the biggest hip-hop DJ, not just in Britain, but in Europe. We need to ask ourselves how that came to be, because, subjectively speaking, it was not because of his talent. His whiteness, maleness, and class privilege, being the son of a bishop, did not know that, allowed him to carve out a niche uh, for himself within the late 80s UK hip-hop scene, a space where, at that point, black British artists and DJs struggled to get as much traction in terms of having hip-hop recognised in the mainstream. Despite the success of the Sugar Hill Gang in the UK, for example, which was considered our introduction to hip-hop, charting number 3 1979, the first British hip-hop uh, song by rapper Derek B only charted in 1987. Westwood wouldn't be the first white person to become the face of a black music genre. Historically, in attempts to make whiteness central to dictating cultural norms, music created by black people has long been repackaged by white people and presented to the masses. Um, you know, Elvis. Was a hero to most. Shout out to Public Enemy again. Uh, the combination of white supremacy and the patriarchy often gives white men uh, carte blanche uh, to not just dominate uh, spaces that don't belong to them, but also exploit women of colour. In this case, black women specifically, while they're at it. While the mainstream gives un uh, undue credit to these socially acceptable figureheads of blackness, position them as saviors of typically dismissed cultures, issues like misogynoir, unique combination of sexism and racism towards black women, tend to be dismissed or ignored altogether. For the avoidance of being dragged to court by the hem of my gym leggings, I'll be clear, albeit less blunt uh, than those who are familiar with me are used to, it is imperative that we are collectively, that we connect, collectively acknowledge the contributing factors that allowed rumours about someone like Westwood to be ignored for decades without his employers hearing of any complaints. As BBC Director General Tim Davey claimed on Wednesday, uh, Westwood himself previously called online claims false and fabricated. Tweets referencing Westwood's inappropriate behaviour towards girls have received rebuttals, usually from black men, claiming that Westwood should not be spoken of in such a disparaging way because he has done so much for the culture, quote-unquote. A claim that is as hyperbolic as it is false. In fact, it is the other way round. Uh, British, black British culture has done a lot for Westwood because his proximity to it gave him legitimacy, allowing him to, whether knowingly or not, leverage his white maleness to gain access to US hip-hop artists, therefore giving the illusion that he was breaking artists in the UK scene. This brings me to my second point, which is also my, which is also my most important. Even if one could argue that Westwood did push recognition for black British hip-hop culture to new heights, uh, would harm yeah, would harm cause two black girls be a fair trade-off for such an achievement? White supremacist patriarchy has created a hierarchy in which in which places black women at the bottom. We see this play out in various ways in society, but one glowing example is how black girls are failed 
in terms of safeguarding and not being believed when they call out abuse. Considering the power that Westwood was able to wield while cosplaying in blackness, even if uh, more young black women wanted to come forward, it's not unlikely that they would have been silenced by others. In the Guardian's report on the Westwood allegations, some of the alleged victims said they feared that their age and race, quote, would also lead uh, people to minimise, dismiss, or ignore their claims, unquote. While some might claim the number of black, dark-skinned alleged victims may have uh, reflected a mere preference, I would like us to examine that preference in a society that treats women worse the darker they are. One could argue that another person accused of similar things that might uh, might have chosen darker-skinned black girls to prey on because the likelihood of anyone caring if they were abused or believing them if they if they ever said anything was slim to none. When you consider the legal cost of defending oneself against a libel case, and a lot of these girls being from working-class backgrounds, the disparity in power becomes even more clear. For years, I and many others have been calling for more public discourse on Westwood's behaviour. It is all well and good that the BBC aired a documentary and kudos to the brilliant reporters who investigated thoroughly and got it over the line. However, I believe we still need more clarity about whether the BBC was aware of accusations against the DJ while under its employment. It is not good enough that Westwood has stepped down from Global Radio either. Every company that employed him and every university that booked him for freshers, weeks and the like and every promoter who sought him out, uh, despite the decades-old rumours, has questions to answer. To the women who have shared their experiences, thank you. I stand in solidarity for you all, with you all. Um, Yeah, and that's kind of the crux of this, right? Where... I I don't I'm not sure whether to conflate this with Southall or not, but it's kind of it kind of gives me gives off that vibe to me personally, where it's just um yeah in in there were plenty of rumors going about I I believe you know pertaining to Savile and you know the thing <laughs> I knew Westwood was a creep years ago, and that was me years ago right I you know I I've never met him or you know been been to one of his places but I always found him a bit odd. I was like, who's this lanky white dude? He's like in his 60s now or some shit, man. Like, come on, bro. Come on, seriously. And I, I, I saw the documentary. I saw a documentary he did in the 80s about hip-hop, about British hip-hop, right? And it was great, right? It was cool. You know, Rodney P, London Posse, all that all that stuff, right? It was all there. Um, and just hip-hop culture in general. It was, it was cool, right? He was there, right? And credit on that front. But past that, bro, one... The, the the rumors of him have been going on for decades, like Miss Okafor said. That gives me big Savile vibes because I feel like most people, you know, of of uh, of uh, definitely, especially like my mum's age, uh, they 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 some of them saw Savile as a weird dude, a weird weird dude. If you if it seems obvious now, it really does seem obvious now. But I always found him a bit weird in general. Just looking at him as a kid, I was just like, who the fuck is this, right? Um, but ah man, I can't I can't help but create parallels on this front. I can't help it. It's just I I feel like once I don't know once Westwood dies or you know whatever I feel like a lot of a lot of shit's gonna come out and hopefully it comes out bef- when he's alive honestly because he deserves to be you know just accounted on this front. Um, but yeah man, I, I don't know bro. It's just uh yeah, it's it's it really should be it really sh- this really should be something that's gonna uh, hopefully will be talked more about. Um, you know he he's he's locked off his show for a bit, but I feel like a lot of people in the BBC and on global radio and wherever else he's worked, I feel like everyone's holding sight, and I'm just waiting for the day where one of them comes out with it 
and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. But you know what? Let's stop talking about Westwood. Let's, let's, instead, let's hail up someone who should be held up um, in, in general. Uh, so this is a feature I found uh, while just looking about uh, via Ni- uh, by Nick Levine or Levine uh, via the New Musical Express enemy. Yeah. Um, and it's a feature on Miss Clara Ampho. Um, it's called uh, Clara Ampho. I couldn't handle Radio One's breakfast show. I know my lane. And um, yeah, man, I just... I, 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 I keep seeing Clara Ampho, man, like on TV, you know, always booked and busy. And, uh, you know, I just respect, I just respect her work ethic, man. I just respect her. She has a good podcast called This City. It was really good. Um, I don't know if she still does it or not, but she's done a couple of seasons on it. And uh, that was always, that was always a, a decent, lis- decent listening uh, for the most part. Um, so, yeah, man, I just, I just really respect Clara Ampho in general. I feel like uh, she's a good, um, just all round personality. Uh, on the face, I don't know her personally, but you know she seems like a good personality on the face, and uh, you know always just always got a toe in something. So then that's that's always respectful. So instead of you know instead of talking about Westwood, let's pick up a black woman right quick. All right, let's do that right quick. So could you indulge me in that? Of course you will, because you're listening. So let's jump in. It's hard to describe what makes Clara Info such a great broadcaster without resorting to words that have been dimmed through overuse. But here's the thing: she really is warm, friendly, funny, and authoritative. Uh, not in a school teacher way, but in the sense that you know she knows what she's talking about, especially with music. Anfo is also self-aware. When Enemy asks what she wants to do, wants people to think when they hear her name, she pauses for, for a thought, then gives a flawless answer. Quote, if I met her in the loose, she'd tell me if I had loo paper stuck on my shoe. Quote. <laughs> the only real difference between the presenter we hear on Radio 1 and we see on TV and the person Enemy meets in the Fitzrover Cafe near the BBC is the odd C-bomb. After seven years as a Radio 1 mainstay, including six hosting uh, including six hosting the mid-morning show that's home to the live lounge, Anvo has met pretty much everyone and has a three-strike rule for A-listers who act up. Quote, You know, it's, the, it's tricky, she says, because one thing I've learned is that everyone has a bad day and you truly do not know what is going, to, what going on in people's lives. But if I'm aware of somebody being horrible three times, I'm like, you know what? Maybe they are a cunt, unquote. Though Enfo is due on air in a few hours, this doesn't stop her from uh, giving full and thoughtful answers to enemies' questions. Last September, she succeeded Annie Mack as presenter of Radio 1's Future Sounds, which airs every weekday at 6pm. She says the switch from the mid-morning show wasn't too much of an adjustment, but notes that she ha- she now has a bit more freedom when it comes to picking tracks. After 6pm, presenters aren't quite we- so wedded to the famous Radio 1 playlist. And that sounds great because radio playlisting is boring as fuck to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, she says Future Sounds, excuse me, is for, quote, people who like a bit of everything musically, unquote, which means she can play a silky smooth tune by the girl group Flow straight after a punky Fontaine's DC track, quote. One thing that surprised me is the amount of people who text or even at me on social media to say, you play the song at this time, what is it? Anfo says, I think there's an assumption that everyone's got streaming accounts and whatnot, but not everyone can afford them. And that's been a really healthy but rude awakening to me, uh, for me, unquote. 
that's actually interesting to think about. I actually have never thought about. It. I just, uh, I just always assume someone has, you know, Apple Music or Spotify or title. I, I just assume someone has it, but um, you know, some people don't. Some people still fuck with iTunes or you know, or you know, still, um, or just don't have streaming at all and have to listen to the radio and have to get on BBC Sounds. You know, my dad uses BBC Sounds and uh, he doesn't do that for the fact that he doesn't have money. I just think he does it because he appreciates, you know, certain radio mixes. Um, you know, he likes his Pete Tong. Um, and trance mixes, and uh, you know, I think he and you know, just uh, uh what's the, is the other dude? Is it Shawnee B? I forget, I forget Bossman's name, but anyway, yeah, he's he's always on that, and I res- I respect that, I respect that, you know. Um, it's not my it's not my speed, um, anymore. Used to be really, but um, yeah, not anymore. But anyway, uh, Ampho is also enjoying busting the misconception that any post six pm show on Radio One has to has to be mega chin strokey. She likes being able to pivot from relatively frothy conversations with artists to much weightier ones. Quote, we had singer-songwriter Mira May, I think that's how you say it, on the other day. And let me tell you, she did not hold back, Campo says. She went straight into what it's like as a new mother and how female artists are treated when they're promoting their records. We can have those chats on this show, unquote. Campo has interviewed everyone from Jay-Z to Lizzo during her seven years on Radio 1. Early in her career, she put, stint, she put in stints on BBC Radio 1 Extra and Kiss FM where she started out as a marketing intern before persuading her boss to put her on air. Her profile has grown so steadily ever since that she now looks natural, looks like a natural choice for Radio 1's breakfast show, one of the most prestigious jobs in broadcasting. Current host Greg James is absolutely smashing it, but it's still surprising to hear Ampho rule out the possibility further, further down the line. Quote, I couldn't do it, she says plainly. I have the utmost respect for Greg and for Grimmy, Nick Grimshaw, who went before him. But it's one of those ones where you've got to really want to do it in order to do it. And I don't really want to do it. Simple as that. Unquote. And I agree. Fuck waking up in the morning and being that peppy, man. I just If you're that peppy in the morning, I question you. Like I I, I question your, I don't know, your, your, are you even human? Honestly, I, I just don't. I, I I can't I can't fathom it. I can't fathom being that peppy in the morning. I really can't. It's just it's jarring. It's it's really jarring. Anyway, Ampho goes on to explain that when she hosted an early breakfast show on Kiss FM, she ended up feeling jet lagged all the time. Quote You've always got to be on in this job, but for breakfast you've got to be a particular kind of on, and I don't think I could handle it, she says. I've done weekend breakfast shows before and I could do that again, but every day, nah, I know my lane, unquote. Intriguingly, Ampho says there is one particular job in radio she'd love a crack at further down the line, but doesn't want to mention it out of respect for the current presenter. It's a moment that says a lot about Ampho. Yes, she's ambitious, but she's also classy and fundamentally kind. Ampho says this TV project is definitely in her lane. Since March, she's been presented The Drop, a BBC3 reality show in which nine budding fashion creatives compete to launch a streetwear brand. It's a zesty, clever blend of Project Runway and The Apprentice for the Instagram generation. One that recognises the synergy between fashion and music by having super stylish singer Miguel as head judge. Ampho says she was excited by the drop when it first when it was first announced last year, but at that point wasn't going to have a uh, have a host, just a judging panel. Quote, then maybe four or five months later they were like, would you like to present it, she recalls. And it was a no-brainer. I worked in streetwear and skate shops before I got into the media, and I've always loved streetwear, so yeah, so I said yes immediately. Unquote. Ampho has always been pretty... T- uh, always been able to tell pretty quickly uh, whether a project is right for her. Quote, I would have watched the drop even if I wasn't on it, she says. Obviously, you can never predict the way people are going to receive things. That's out of your control. But when it comes to does this feel right for me, I think I've always been quite intuitive, unquote. 
13 years into her broadcasting career, Anfo says she still receives the most random job offers that she would never dream of accepting, but doesn't want this to stop. Quote, I think it's important to know your lane, but not to necessarily stick it in all of the time. I will never completely dismiss anything, she says. Anfo is no TV snob and speaks just as enthusiastically about her voiceover work on E4 Celebrity Coast Trip. Quote, I've been doing it for five years now. Tour guy Brendan is obviously an icon and it's just the most comforting show. Do you know what pe- do you know what people can poo-poo reality TV and says it's a bit asinine or doesn't engage your brain cells, but ultimately, whether you're watching Big Brother or Real Housewives, it's all about studying people's behaviour, unquote. Since twenty eight uh, yeah, I mean <laughs> nice try trying to make it an anthropological thing, but yeah, nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Nice try though. That was good. That was that was a good finesse. I have never actually thought of reality TV as an anthropological thing, but nice try. That was, that was good. That was good. I see what you did there. Nice try. Still not into it. <laughs> that was good though. I like that. Respect. Uh, since 2018, Ampo has also hosted Top of the Pops Christmas, uh, Christmas and New Year specials. Fun festive throwbacks to a time when the youth youth focused music show was appointment viewing. Do you think there's a space for a new live music show aimed at Gen Z? Quote, I'd like to know this answer actually. I think we're in a really interesting space when it comes to performance telly because artists, as they should, have so much more agency as to when and how we receive what they want to give us, she says. Uh, we've got streaming platforms, we've got YouTube, we've got TikTok, so in that sense it's tricky. Uh, but I do think there's something so golden about seeing your favourite person perform in an invited way on TV. I love watching someone perform on Graham Norton or Jules Holland. Unquote. Equally, Amfo points out that uh, because we're all such distracted creatures now, constantly scrolling on, uh, scrolling where, even when we're watching something, any new music show would have uh, would have to work hard to hold our attention. Quote, the right format could work, I think, with music as its backbone, but it would have to incorporate other elements like comedy as well. That's why I'd like to see unquote. Hmm. That's interesting. I've never, I've, I've been, I've been wondering like that kind of how, how that kind of thing would work. Because I do watch, I don't watch Top of the Pops, but I, I see it now and again. I see clips of it. And I'm just like, is it really? Does it really have to be just Jules Holland doing this kind of thing? Like, like why, why is it just Jules Holland? You know what I mean? I always have that question. Same with talk shows as well. Why is it just John from Ross and Graham Norton and Mo Gilligan, of course? Shout out to Mo Gilligan. Like, why, why is it just three? You know what I mean? I find it weird. Anyway. Anfo wears the attention that comes uh, with her public-facing job lightly. Do you think she's never been papped and says most people who approach her when she's out uh, uh, and about are sweet and respectful? But she did experience a period of increased scrutiny in June 2020 when she spoke heart-wrenchingly about the effects of George Floyd's murder on her mental health. Quote, I didn't have the mental strength to face you guys yesterday, Anfo told listeners live on air. I was sat on my sofa crying, angry, confused, stuck at the news. Uh, of yet another brutalized black body, unquote. I do remember listening to that. It was actually really powerful. Um, yeah, it was, that was really good stuff. Um, it's like, I think she spoke for like four minutes, something like that. It was just really powerful. Uh, Amfo, the fifth of six children raised by Ghanaian parents in Kingston upon Thames, went on to correct common misconceptions about the way racism permeates society. Quote, oh, here we go. Knowing how the world enjoys blackness and seeing what people, uh, seeing what happened to uh, George, we black people, Get the feeling that people want our culture but do not want us. In other words, you want my talent but you don't want me, she continued. Uh, There is a false idea that racism and in this case anti-blackness is just name-calling and physical violence when it is so much more insidious than that. Unquote. Facts, facts, facts. Preach, sister. Uh, Amfo's speech struck a chord with listeners that it became a national talking point. 
If, diff- if difficult conversations are an essential building block of any meaningful social change, Anfo definitely laid down a brick that day. I've never been so overwhelmed by social media and public exposure in my life, uh, she says now. There, was a, there wasn't a quote at the start of that, so I got confused. But anyway, that's a quote. Um, I had no idea it was going to be a quote-unquote moment. I just had to say what was on my mind. I've still got DMs in my inbox I haven't read for my own pers- mental protection. A lot of people wanted me to answer all these questions I generally don't have the brain space for. How can I help? What can I read? I was like, use the internet, babes, come on. Unquote. Anfo says she fully appreciated uh, that speaking about a contentious issue that is outside of some people's experience wasn't necessarily what listeners expect from her. Uh, quote, I've spoken about my dad's death on air and I think people probably accepted that more that more easily because death is something that unifies us regardless of race, she adds. But this was risky because I had to trust myself and trust that a lot of people would understand, but also that a lot of people uh, wouldn't. Most people were supportive, but I got some horrendous file messages, uh, unquote. For the first time in the interview, words briefly allude her, quote, just dot dot dot, unspeakably vile, nasty racism and hatred, she continues. But the thing is, I wasn't surprised by that at all. I just had to trust myself uh, that that, uh, that day. I said what I said, and I have zero regrets about it, unquote. At this point, Amfo has accepted that not everyone uh, will uh, appreciate everything she has to say or even like her necessarily. Astutely, she points out that the way we respond to, particular, to a particular presenter from I can't put my finger on why I don't like them to do you know what, I absolutely love them depends on our unconscious biases as well as whether the presenter's energy and personality meshes with our own. Quote, I know for a fact that some people can't stand me and there's a really sick part of uh, me that wonders why, she says, but I, do, I don't go delving into that to find out. Like, I know people who have their names on fucking Google alerts, but I'm not doing that. It's none of my business, unquote. Uh, Amfo takes a similar, similarly, uh, similarly, uh, similarly, 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 similarly pragmatic approach to social media. She still posts on Instagram, but has quietly left Twitter, a platform she used to light up. Quote, no one was being horrible to me, but I noticed, especially in lockdown, that it just got so fucking toxic, she says. I feel so much lighter now. I had a, bu- bu- a lot of bants on Twitter back in the day, but anything that's really funny on there gets into my group chats anyway. Uh, unquote. That's, that's, a, that's a good point. I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm, I really want to leave both, but I can't. Um, I mean, I'm still, uh, Fifth Element IG still locked off on IG, if you guys haven't noticed. Um, so, you know, yeah, still, so if, if that fucks off, then, uh, you know, that's one, that's, that's one out of four done for me. I'm just going to be my main account still on, on IG. That's it. Uh, look into the future, which appears brighter than ever. Empo is focusing on the positive. She wants to pick relevant projects that fully reflect her personality. Quote, for me, there's no such thing as small jo- as a small job, Empho says, whether it's being a talking head, a guest on somebody else's show, or hosting a show myself. I just want uh, to do things I enjoy. I think people can really tell when you're trying to be somebody that you're not. I mean, at this point in time, you know, I mean, if you're changing, if you're switching your style up, then yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. For Amfo, this intersection of passion and trust, quote unquote, has become a guiding principle. Quote, if those two things aren't happening, there is just no point, she says. The day I stop uh, being passionate, I shouldn't be doing my job. Fortunately, there seems to be precisely zero chance of this happening anytime soon. And if any TV exec wants to launch a new live music show, she should be the first person they call. And I generally believe that. I actually generally agree with that. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I feel, I feel like Karanfo is just really good, um, really good TV personality. I feel, um, I feel like, uh, you know, her music knowledge isn't um, as, uh, is, is always open-minded. 
you know, I'm open-minded on my music, but I, I, I make an effort to stay away from what everybody else is listening. You know what I mean? I'm not listening to the new Jack Harlow. I'm not. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm just not. It's if if it's great, it will get to me. But I'm I'll, I'm I'm fine with being the last person to hear something popular. That's all it is. So that's why I don't hit up you know Radio One because you know they're always playing the hits basically, and I'm just like the well the the charters, and I'm just like you know if it if it's good, someone will, someone I trust will tell me it's good. You know what I mean? I don't mind being the last person. Um, you know, there's always a thing about that. And uh, I love to be the first person for someone fresh. You know what I mean? I love doing that. Um, so, and I feel like, you know, Clara is, can be both. You know what I mean? She can, she can dig, but she can also just, you know, be fine with the fact that she's playing, you know, just like the regular shit that's, that's playing right now. And I can't do the, one of those. <laughs> so, you know, respect her on that front for just being that open. Um, so, and, you know, it gets her booked to busy, and I'm here for that. So, shout out to Clara and Poe on that front. So I finish up on tech, and this was something that I saw, and um, you know, I've, I'm always interested in like the future and, and you know futurism. You know, uh, if, you, if you get on like I don't know, futurism Reddit, whatever, um, there's always some really fascinating shit in there. But it's while it's interest, it's, it's equal past interesting and equal past depressing because you just know you're never gonna see it in your life. You know, there's there's I remember I saw a video. Was like there's this uh, sea bin, you know, for lack of a better phrase, and it was like a bin that like sucked in sea garbage, right? And you know, and and kept it in like a bin, right? And you can collect it and you know do whatever with it, recycle whatever, right? But you're clearing the oceans with this one bin, you know, um, you know, in a certain in a certain area, right? I've I've never heard I've never heard from it since. Uh, that was years ago. I've never heard from it since, but I remember it. I remember seeing it, and I was like, "This is sick! Like it should be in every ocean." You know what I mean? And you know, just put it every every corner of the ocean. You know what I mean? Just so, just so the you know rubbish just doesn't just stick in the ocean. But I've, I've I haven't seen it since. I don't know if it's still going, but yeah, I just it's, it's futuristic tech like that. I'm just like, this is great. We should make this is be, this should be a thing, and it never becomes a thing. But there's this. I found this, and I thought. Let's try again. Let's just try and get something in where this is interesting. It's cool. Um, and it'll be great for everybody. And I'm just going to be fingers crossed that this actually bears fruit. So this is by Anthony Cuth- uh, Cuthbertson uh, via The Independent. It's called Heat Battery Invention Could Make Millions of Homes Gas-Free. Um, so let's jump right in. Researchers believe they can make millions of homes in Europe gas-free in the near future. See, near future after inventing a heat battery, quote-unquote, based on salt and water. The team from Eindhoven University of Technology say their cheap, compact battery system is ready for real-world tests and will be a, quote, game-changer for energy transition, unquote. The heat battery is based on an old thermochemical principle, which is that when water is added to salt, it produces heat. The reverse is also possible, whereby heat can be, uh, be used to evaporate the water, thus storing the heat energy inside the salt. Storing heat within dry salt makes the battery completely loss-free, providing an incredibly efficient way to store energy for future use. 
This is particularly useful when energy supply is coming from renewable sources, such as uh, wind and solar, which tend to fluctuate significantly and therefore require gas or other sources to supplement, uh, supplement them. It took 12 years to develop and create a battery design that could actually work at scale, with researchers saying it comes at a critical time with European countries looking to wean themselves off Russian gas following the invasion of Ukraine. Um, I think I just saw an article uh, or a headline today or yesterday about um, the EU, you know, suggesting cut, lock it off, lock off the whole thing, um, which, I, which I asked the question, what changed in two months? But, you yeah, know. Um, the heat source um, to store this in the salt uh, can be taken from industrial byproducts such as the re- residual heat waste in factories or surplus heat from data centers. Quote, if uh, industrial res- residual heat uh, could be used to heat homes, you have a win-win situation. Homes can be made independent of gas, an even more urgent need given the dependence on Russian gas, and CO2 emissions will be reduced, Eindhoven University of Te- Technology said in a statement. The system is made up of a heat exchanger fan, evaporator, condenser, and uh, a boiler with salt particles. Despite its simplicity, the proof of concept was capable of providing heat for an average family of four for two days. Engineers have since upgraded this to a fully working prototype around the size of a large cabinet that could be used in the real world. With nearly 30 times the storage capacity, the system could heat up a home for two months. Quote, it is not yet a product, but everything is now ready to be tested for the first time in a real-world situation, said Olaf Adan, 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 I don't know, uh, a professor at Eindhoven. Uh, I'm going to say EUT, because um, Eindhoven University Technology is a bit of a trick, so I'm going to say EUT from now on. Uh, quote, while the potential is great, we have also seen many great potential technologies that have not made it. No shit. <laughs> so we're going to keep our feet at the ground, uh, on the ground and take this one step at a time. Uh, a pilot is already being set up to test the technology later this year in homes in France, Poland, and the Netherlands. If successful, Professor Adan, Adan uh, claims it could be used to wean millions of homes off gas in the near future. Uh, in the Netherlands, you have about 150 petajoule, a number with 15 zeros, of residual heat from industry per year, he said. Uh, that would enable you to take almost 3.5 million homes off the gas uh, which is more than twice the target of the Dutch government, namely 1.5 million homes gas-free by 2030, unquote. So yeah, that's the entire thing. And um, it's, it's just one of those, you know, it's one of those stories where I'm just like, I read it and, you know, I try, I, I, I've kind of taken myself off trying to read those things, um, especially for the pod, because I'm just like, you know, it's cool. It's great. You know, it sounds great. It sounds amazing. But I just, I just... You know, I just always, I always have that skepticism where I'm just like, is it going to happen though? Like, you know what I mean? But, you know, they're at trial stage. So, you know, I, I'll, I'm, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and hope that, hope it becomes a thing within, you know, the next, let's say five years, for example. Um, but yeah, it just, it sounds great. But, you know, I'm, I'm always just, I just, it's just one of those things. Like there's plenty of futurism, um, uh, projects that have you know that have come and gone, um, or come and just uh, you know disappeared off the face of the earth, and nobody hears about it again, um, like the sea bin. And um, you know, I'm just like, bro, what's going on? What happened? What happened to that? What happened to this? What happened to that? So um, yeah, but hopefully, fingers crossed that the heat battery will become a thing, and uh, we won't, we we can we can bin our we can bin our guest up homes and. Um, yeah, just um, and and that'll be that'll be a great that'll be honestly like in the big picture that'll be an amazing 
amazing W. That would be an amazing W for um, for you know just general environment and um, every uh, and, and and all of us on that front. So um, yeah, a little bit of a cautiously optimistic end to this episode, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network. I've been Charlie saying this been most good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find this link in the full show notes. Thanks to your records for the ability to use the track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. And thanks to Nappy High for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I'm going to go see Oates Mensa. Hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.